Everybody, welcome to RUF. I know there's a fair number of uh, first-timers here tonight, so welcome. Glad you're here. I never know how to adjust these things. There we go, I think. Yeah, so RUF is, um, we're a Christian ministry on this campus, but we're here for Christians and non-Christians. So whichever of those you are, you belong here. Because this is not about belonging to a club or knowing everybody here. Uh, you may know nobody here, but you still belong because Jesus is the one that calls us into this place. And we believe that Jesus forms something very strange and weird where he calls people that don't know each other into a place, onto a campus, to become a community, to become something more than just friends, co-workers, co-laborers, on mission together wherever you go, wherever you go on this campus. Fraternity house, sorority house, dorm room. And so, I don't know, maybe that sounds weird, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, especially if it's your first time tonight. My name is Willis Weatherford. I'm the campus minister with RUF. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about myself and my uh, poor running skills in a second. But for now, the one thing I really want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And that changes everything. And each week, what we do here is talk about how, in God's Word, God reveals Himself to be the God who changes things, who changes us. And so we're going to do that again tonight in our series in Romans, where we're actually turning a kind of cool corner in Romans this night. So if it's your first uh, night of the semester, perfect time to come. So turning the corner here. So yeah, this weekend, I, uh, I, I ran a race. Um, Elise is in here. Elise, you're in here. Yeah. You told me to run the race. And I listened to you and I did it. No, it was good. It was a good experience. <laughs> and I, I had not run for legitimately like three months. And then I said I would run the race. And so like Tuesday I ran. And then I think like Thursday I ran. And that was it. So I am pretty sore. Uh, it was funny though because um, this thing about me, I'm not very good at directions of any sort really at all. And especially in like a race where you know they put up the little like flags. It was on like trails, not on the roads. So you had to like all these little twists and turns in the back campus trails and intersections. And they put up like the little pink ribbons to show you the way to go. Well, I missed a couple of people. I missed a couple. And I, the first one I missed was like less than 100 yards after the start of the race. <laughs> and I was like, and Wes is there with me, man. We were together in this and a couple other guys. We took a wrong, so I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus, but you called it out on yourself, so it's fair. Yeah, so we took a wrong turn, and we had been, you know, I, I go out hard, uh, and, and uh, we had been at the front of the pack, and then by the time we get on route again, we're at, like, the very back, like, after the walkers, and had to, like, pass all them again, so it was funny. But the worst part of it was, at the very end, Wes has long since gone way past me. I have no idea where Wes is. I'm, like, on my own here. And um, do you guys know, who's been to the stairs on the back camp, the stairs at VMI? Yeah, you know, you know. Okay, so we get there, and I'm like, right, I'm like, uh, uh, and I get to this, and I look right, and I kind of see some flagging that's pointing right, and I'm like, oh, there's the stairs. It must mean the stairs. Okay. So I go up the stairs. I'm like, uh, uh, you know, like dragging myself up these stairs by that rope handle thing. Turns out the, the little flagging was pointing like, go level down to the right. And I totally missed that. And so um, I ran virtually like maybe one half of the actual course and the rest of it was just who knows where. I ended up finding the end of the course, but why am I telling this story? The point is uh, there are places in our lives 
where we can miss things. We can miss the flag, the warning flag, and end up going off route. And this section that we come to tonight, where we're going to look at from God's Word, uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it's a turning point in Romans. Something shifts, something changes, and we're going to see what the flag is in a second there that shows us. But Romans, just like zoom out for a second, Romans 1 through 11, first 11 chapters, has been all about God's sovereignty, his uh, authorship of salvation, our desperate need for salvation, our need for a savior. And it's all about how God saves people who don't deserve it and draws them to himself. That's Romans 1 through 11. A lot of different twists and turns in there, but it's all under that heading. And then here, these two verses that we're at tonight, it starts talking about, so what do you do about it? So what? How do we respond? The, the fifth word of our verse that we're about to read here is therefore. And that's the flag. It says, therefore, based on everything that's come before, what do you do about it? And it reminds us that everything God calls us towards, and I want you to miss this, everything he calls us towards, all the obedience and the self-sacrifice and loving other people that aren't easy to love, all the stuff that he calls us to is based on what he's already done for us. It's based on the fact that he's already saved us. Because God has saved us, therefore we can begin to live like saved people. Because God has adopted us, therefore we can begin to live like his children. And that's so easy to miss because we start hearing about things to do and like, we're WNL people. We love doing stuff. We're good at doing stuff. So it's really easy for us to jump into like, okay, God, I can get on this treadmill and then Christianity becomes this other treadmill alongside the 15 other treadmills you're on. And that's not what Christianity is. It starts with God having done something for you that you could never do for yourself, saving you. This is a response to his love in that. Okay, all that said, here's the passage. This is the word of the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's on your handout. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So where are we going tonight? Two points. <laughs> you thought it was three. It's always three, but it's not. It's two. So gotcha. Two points. Do not be conformed. Second point. Be transformed. And for each of those, we're going to look at to, to what, so what, and by what. Like, do not be conformed to what, and by what, and so what. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so three subpoints between each of those. So it's kind of actually six points. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for this chance to dig into your word. If you are who you claim to be, if the, your word is what it claims to be, this is the most important part of our week. We come to your word that is powerful, living, active, where you, the God of the universe, who claims to have made us and all things, reveals yourself to us, to change us. So we pray that you would do that work, Holy Spirit, that it would not just be me up here saying things, but you working through my words, through your words in our hearts to change us and show us how much you love us. So we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. Point one, do not be conformed. So, where we're getting this from our, our verse, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, 
brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, so do not be conformed to what? First subpoint. To what? It says, do not be conformed to this world. So the Greek there is ioni. Sounds like eon. Because it could also be translated like age. So it's not just the physical world. It's like the cultural age that we're in. The zeitgeist. You guys know that word? Who knows that word? Okay, cool. Uh, I thought you would. I knew there was some WNL people who knew what zeitgeist is. It's like the cultural temperature. Like the spirit of the age. Don't be conformed to that. To the flavor of life and lifestyle right around you at WNL in this country. Don't be conformed to that. That word conformed has to do with fitting in. With like there being an external pattern and you conform to that pattern. Right? So it's like you have the little bucket that's the shape of a sandcastle. My daughter Juniper uses these on the beach. And you pack the sand in. And it's like wet sand that conforms real nice. And, and it's like out it comes. And like now it's a sandcastle. This is saying don't let your life be the sand in the little form mold of the world where it just conforms. It's saying don't do that. Okay, to be conformed is for the sand of your life to be pressed into the mold of society around you such that you come out looking just the same, sounding just the same, doing just the same things. So what is a WNL student supposed to look like? What do WNL students stereotypically do? I mean, I think I know, but you guys know better than I do. A lot better. I bet if you reflect, you'll see like, yeah, there's a pattern here. <laughs> There's some things that is like fits the 70% of students here. I bet if you reflect, you'll notice some changes in your own life that started happening like the week you moved on to campus, right? Like if you look back, you'll be like, yeah, I'm a little different now. And some of that is going to be conforming to what the rest of the people are doing. It's natural. The way you talk, dress, what you own, what media you consume, what you prioritize, where you go, like physically where you go, what you prioritize, how you spend your free time, even what you post on social media. I bet there's an element where you can look around at your friends and be like, yeah, I see some similarities. We conform. And so we look less and less like Jesus and more and more like the people around us. And I know some of you are thinking like, hey, it's not a bad thing to be kind of like your friends. And I, I get what you're saying there. But think about the alternative. The alternative sometimes, often, is like you get to look like Jesus or like the people around you. Which one is better? And Jesus is the best thing that there ever has been. And so by being conformed to the people around us, we're not being more like Jesus. Okay, that's to what? By what? What are we conformed by? Why does this happen to us? I want you to notice the controlling metaphor of this conforming that happens the controlling metaphor is worship. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's worship language from the Old Testament. We'll talk about that. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. So I was just saying, we have a choice. Worship God and look more like Jesus, or worship the world and look more like the people around you. And that word worship, we might be thinking like, I'm not worshiping the world. I'm not like an animist where I'm like bowing down to rocks and trees and stuff. But this verse defines it as just presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I think it's a really helpful definition. 
because it's so deeply personal, right? It's talking about our bodies. How do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the world around us? When it says bodies, it's not just saying your physical body. It's more than that. But bodies are standing in for like the whole person. So we don't have to look any farther than our bodies to see how we do this. We go to the gym to bulk up or slim down to look how we want to look before the watching world. We dress to impress, we stress over our flaws, apply makeup, we choose shoes to fit the place that we have or the place that we want. We go to parties that we don't even enjoy that much. We sleep with people we don't even love that much. We laugh at jokes we don't even like that much. Just to go with the flow, to fit in. And after God gets a hold of us and starts changing us, we can start to think of ourselves as like the sanctum of obedience, the, the holy ground on WNL, you know, the rock of righteousness. And if everybody else would just kind of get their act together and be like us and do what we do and not do what we don't do and kind of read their Bible like us, then the world would be a much better place. The community of Christians at WNL would be a much better place. And as we do that, we're kind of imagining ourselves as the savior of WNL, not Jesus. It becomes self-worship rather than Christ worship. So you can do this as a very good Christian person. We can still be worshiping something other than Jesus himself. And it conforms us to this world. So what? The call to Jesus is a call away from the spirit of the world, the spirit of the times. Jesus calls Christians to be cross-cultural, not anti-cultural, um, I'm not even sure I like the word counterculture, like against the culture. We're, like, we're, we're part of the culture. We can't get away from that. But what does it look like to be cross-cultural? Like someone from a different country inhabits this culture, lives in it, but also has their own that they may also be following. Quietly standing for Jesus and against whatever is opposed to him in this culture. If you imagined that to be a Christian was to privately hold a set of beliefs, like on the shelf over here, but really the rest of your life can kind of continue as normal, and Jesus on the shelf over here is really helpful to make your life a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more joyful, that is not Christianity. I'm not sure what it is. I guess it's cultural Christianity. It's just not the faith of the Bible. This is saying it changes everything about your life. It'll bring you into conflict with the rest of the world, which can be hard. Following Jesus is costly. So we need to develop a holy curiosity, a suspicion of our assumptions, habits, ideas. Where am I conforming? Where am I just like unconsciously conforming to the world around me? It's so much easier to be conformed to the world around you than to be changed by Jesus because conformity is effortless, just effortless. Do nothing, you'll be conformed to the world around you. But Christ-likeness is costly. One question to ask here is like, what are the daily liturgies that I just do, the daily habits that are shaping me, even if I'm not aware of it? Like the things that you do every day, the, the Twitter feeds that you follow. Are we still on Twitter? I don't know. TikTok feeds that you follow. Like, what do you do first thing when you wake up in the morning? Last thing before you go to bed at night? Who are the people, the conversations that you have over and over, the phone calls that you have, the music that you listen to? These things do shape us and change us. So, like, get curious. Get critical of those liturgies, those habits that you have in your life. 
This feels challenging to me personally. Okay, so I look at my life. I'm like, yeah, I can see habits in my life that I didn't. I didn't start doing those because I thought they're going to help me be like Jesus. <laughs> they're just easy and effortless, and I just do those. So Jesus is asking us to do hard things in asking us to do this, but he's not asking us to do this alone. And so I want to see where the hope is here in point two, to be transformed. Not instead of being conformed, to be transformed. What does that look like? It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you hear the immense hopefulness of this passage? This is so hopeful. This is saying your ability to change is not limited to your own best efforts. It's not. There's a ceiling that you can hit, right, with your own best efforts. And some of you are getting pretty close. (laughs) And maybe you're like, man, is this all there is? No, it's not. There's so much more because Jesus wants to transform you. Conformed is the sand in the sandcastle mold. Transformed is this Greek word metamorphoste. Sound familiar? Metamorphosis? That's what it's talking about. So to help us understand this, let's go to nature. We all love nature. Who are my nature lovers out there? Do we have any eco-majors? All the hands go down. <laughs> There's one or two. I'm just kidding. I love you. Okay, so we all know about the butterflies. Who had the butterfly box in your classroom as a kid? Yeah, I'm seeing some nods. Yeah, butterflies have had their day in the sun, okay? We're going to talk about something else. So we're going to talk about frogs, because frogs are cooler anyway. Uh, frogs, they start as an egg. Most of you know this, but let's just think about it for a second. Frogs start as an egg floating in water, in water, and then they turn into a little fish. They have gills, they breathe water, however that works. They have a tail, no arms or legs, or you know, whatever they're called. They're fish. But then they start developing lungs alongside their gills. They start developing little legs alongside their tails. And one day they just crawl out and start breathing air and turn into a frog. That's weird. You know, that's very strange. (laughs) Nature's weird. Uh, But Romans 12 leads us to believe that this is actually a pretty decent picture of the Christian life. The normal Christian life is metamorphosis. Not stagnation, not confirmation to the rest of the world, but like radical metamorphosis change. So that's hopeful to me. How does this happen? Transform to what, by what, and so what? To what? Easy. Not a frog, but conformed to Jesus. Be made like Jesus. This is what we saw last week. Romans 8, verse 29. He predestined his children for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's the point. That's the point of salvation. He loved you so much, he wanted you to be conformed into his own image. That's awesome. Not that our physical faces start looking like Jesus, and not that we all become weird little clones. Like, you individually are made to image, portray, display Jesus in a way that nobody else can. And as you become that person, you will portray God to the world. That's cool. And that's supposed to start happening here at WNL, right? That confirmation, that uh, transformation begins happening here where your classmates can see, like, she's a little different. He's a little different. What's going on with that? This is why we're called to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is saying, Lord, just take every part of my life. I'm making no reservations here. I'm not saying, except for this part, 
every part of my life, living sacrifice. It's yours, God. Do with it what you want. What does this living sacrifice language mean? Uh, before Jesus, the Jews, God's people, he gives them this sacrificial system where he says, take your sin, roll it up in a ball, and put it on an animal, like in a ceremony, and say, all my guilt, all my sin that makes me worthy, deserving of God's punishment, put it on an animal and kill the animal. Not because God likes killing animals. He wants his people to see that he is going to give them a substitute. He wants them to see that he is passing over their sin because of a substitute. The animal can't substitute. Jesus can. Jesus did. But that's what the Old Testament sacrifice was like. And notice, to do that, like the, where the animals come from? It came from people, like their herds, their animals. It's an agrarian society. That was dinner, right? But now it belongs to God. So in order to actually give this sacrifice, it's not just a mental thing. It's like, I was going to have this delicious goat for dinner. By the way, it's supposed to be a perfect animal. Perfect. Lamb, goat, whatever. Best of the herd. I was going to have it for dinner, but now I'm giving it over to God. It's, it's costing me something. Romans says, offer your own body as a sacrifice. This is going to be mine. I was going to just do what I wanted to do. I was going to use my body how I wanted to use it. That was going to be kind of fun for me. Instead, I'm going to offer it to God. And he can do with it what he wants. So this is another form of the command that Jesus himself gave to us. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Cross is an element of killing. That's what it's for. Offer your body, your life to God. And God, do with this life whatever you want. Here's the most beautiful part of our passage. Right? I don't want to die. I don't want to be like a lamb and die. How, like what, is it, what happens when we offer our life to God? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he transforms you. He doesn't kill you. He transforms you. That's awesome. But don't miss this other part. That's also awesome. When it says holy and acceptable to God, it's like we might hear that and think like, Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Okay, I guess I've got to make my life real holy and acceptable so that it can be a good sacrifice that God will accept. No, no, no. Jesus has already become the perfect acceptable sacrifice for God for all time. There are no other sacrifices needed. And so he gives you all of his righteousness. That's what makes you holy and acceptable. You understand what's happening here? It's like you get hidden in Christ. And now with Christ, you're appearing before God as this perfect, holy, acceptable sacrifice. So, whatever your life looks like, whatever kind of shambles you got going on, whatever skeletons in the closet, you are in Christ. If you have faith and repent, you are holy and acceptable to God. And He will not turn you away. He will be pleased to receive the sacrifice of your life and transform it. Okay. This offering of our lives leads not to death and destruction, but to transformation. But by what? How? How are we transformed? The passage says, by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The first thing Jesus claims is your mind. This is what God says, this is what he says when he converts people, he gives them faith and repentance. Those happen in the mind. <laughs> because the renewing of your mind is the first thing that starts to happen as he transforms you. This makes sense according to neuroscience. So for those of y'all who know like about the brain science and stuff, I asked my uh, professor in seminary once, it was a counseling class, kind of like on the clinical side, talking about neuroscience and stuff. I was like, he kept talking about the mind. 
I was like, okay, I know what the brain is. What is the mind? Hey, professor, what is the mind? He said, the mind is the embodied process by which the brain relates to everything else. The mind is the embodied process by which the brain relates to everything else. Behavior change, obedience, being a missionary, working at a bank and changing the world through finance, it all starts in the mind. And God knows that. He made it that way. That's why. And he wants to renew, to transform all of it, starting with your mind. Your mind itself, our minds, on our own, are twisted, shaped, scarred, marred by all of our life experiences, by our trauma, the things that we feel like define us, the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us. That happens in the mind, big time. And the first thing God lays claim on to transform is your mind. So as we present our, ourselves as living sacrifices to God, start there. And ask Him to heal and to change. So what? It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Is this something Jesus does or is it something we do? You hear what I'm saying? Is this like be transformed by Jesus and just kind of sit back and relax? Or is this whole not being conformed thing and presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice? Is that something that we do? Answer is to both questions, yes. Jesus is the one who grabs a hold of us, saves us, and in a process transforms us and in a process renews our minds. And he involves us in this process. We are called to respond by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. We're called to respond by resisting conformity to the world. So let's look at how God invites us into that process. If you're looking for like an application, here it comes. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of things that we could say. This passage is kind of turning a corner. We're going to get more into it in future weeks. So if you really like that person that wants to have a big to-do list, keep on coming back. Uh, we're going to get it. But at the first outset, we can say, God promises in his word to change us, to transform us in specific ways. Like, what are those? How does he promise to do that? We see three things, well, four things, really. Three kind of included four. We'll get there. Anyway, first one, the word of Jesus, the Bible. He says it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. He says his word will not go out from his mouth and return void. It changes us. So bathe your mind in God's word. Oh, but that's kind of boring. I already knew that. Yeah, but are you doing it? <laughs> if you're like me, we don't do this. And this is an open invitation. All of us have access to the Bible. Bathe your mind in his word and it will change you. Second thing, the special activity of Jesus in the sacraments, including baptism and the Lord's Supper, these aren't mainly about what we do. They're about what God does to us through them. So if you're here and you believe in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I would love to talk to you about how that could look in a local church to get baptized. Not necessarily my church, a gospel preaching church can be any of them. You need to be baptized. God doesn't work in that. The Lord's Supper, communion, you need that. You need that every week. It's a good reason to go to church. We don't serve communion here because we're not a church. You got to be part of a church. More than that in a second. God changes us in this way. Last thing, second to last thing, communion with Jesus in prayer. So God chose to arrange the universe in such a way that his heart would be moved to action by our prayers. And he chose to arrange our hearts in such a way that our hearts would be changed as we pray, as we commune with him in prayer. So he changes you through prayer. 
So get after it. If you like doing stuff, do that. Go pray. Last thing is all these are really designed to take place in the context of a community of believers. Okay? The church is where that starts, but it doesn't stop there. It can be a place like RUF. It can be a place like Summer's Best Two Weeks. I guarantee you, at least you can attest, going to a place where you're living with people and serving Jesus alongside them, that's the kind of community that you might not experience in other situations in your life. It's powerful. To have that for a summer is a big deal. Highly recommended. But God transforms us through connection to his body, the church. So you need to belong to a local church where, hey, Willis, which church should I go to? I'm about to tell you. Okay? Look for these things. The Bible is preached in a Christ-centered way. Anybody can read verses off the page. It's all about Jesus. Are they preaching it all in a Christ-centered way? Where people are known and held accountable in love. Where the sacraments are celebrated. Where the focus is on Jesus, not production value or behavior modification or making you feel a certain way or some big personality up front. The focus on Jesus. If you find that church, I don't care what denomination it is, belong to it. Belong to that church. And when I say belong, if they have a membership option, become a member, even as a college student. If they have a small group option, join the small group. Like dig in, become known, invest. Start serving this in the, I don't know, children's worship thing, in the nursery. Like find a way to serve, plug into this church. That's not just you doing stuff. God is changing you through that. Do those feel boring? Athletics analogy. What's boring, what's really boring, is going to a pool and swimming 360 days a year. That's boring. <laughs> going to the gym and lifting 360 days a year. That's super boring. Running 360 days a year, 50 miles a week, very boring. But after doing that, you are changed. That's how it works. So, one of the many results of being transformed is by the renewing of your mind. And as God renews our minds and transforms our lives, we become more and more like Jesus. The thoughts of God, the very thoughts of God, become more comprehensible to us. That's what it says. So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, his good, acceptable, and perfect will. This is nuts. God is inviting us to, to look into his mind and understand what's going on there, to think his thoughts after him. You want to have the ability to make decisions that like are Christ-like? How do I honor God in this decision with this relationship or this job? This is where it starts. Discerning the will of God through these things. Come back next week to see how God transforms us in our behavior towards each other. This is more about the vertical thing towards God. To sum up here, the transforming intent of God for his children is so potent that not a single dark corner of your life, whatever recess of your mind that you think is out of the reach of God, he starts there. He wants that. He wants to renew that. Out of his loving and healing power, he wants to renew that. And he draws us to present our bodies and lives as living sacrifices. As he does that, it's, he calls us to die to ourselves. Yeah, that's hard. But not so that we would be crushed or become small and humble and submissive. So we'd be healed and transformed and beautified and dignified and empowered. That's the God I want to serve. So let's pray. Whew, Father God, uh, I thank you for your word in Romans 12. We thank you for the beauty of this picture that we might be transformed, not just conformed to become like everybody else around us, but actually change to become like you, to understand your mind. 
Lord, we want that. Part of us is afraid of that too. It sounds kind of hard. We ask Jesus that you would remind us every day of your love for us and that in your love we would find the comfort we need to move forward boldly and be willing to be different, to be more like you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.